Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. We are celebrating the 100th episode of I Am The Code, just where we started it in Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya. I am so emotional to just say that. And you know what? It is so extraordinary to have me saying this to you right now because I am excited to tell you that I Am The Code podcast is getting better and better and we are having amazing listeners sending us feedback every single day. And today I am joined by an extraordinary woman. She is a UN envoy for youth. Really amazing woman who have been trying her best to make sure that the voice of the youth are represented all across the United Nations. And I had a chance to talk to her about her work, what she does, why it's important to you know, get young women and girls to have access to content, have access to connectivity, but also the voice of the young people to be represented at the United Nations. Her name is Jay Wikramana Yake. She's really amazing. She's the Secretary General Envoy uh, for Youth. I had a wonderful time talking to her. It's someone I really admire. I watch her work. I've seen her in New York mobilizing government, mobilizing the United Nations to make sure the young boys and girls growing up across the world have access, but also they have a seat at the table. I had a lovely time with her. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation because she's the 100 person to come to the I Am Record podcast, including the Kakuma Refugee Girls in Kenya, where I'm talking to you right now. Enjoy this conversation. It is really remarkable that I had her on this podcast. Enjoy the UN envoy of youth of the United Nations. I will see you on the other side. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'm so honored to be on this podcast again today. And I was just telling you that I had a total problem, but I just cannot miss this moment because we have someone wonderful I've been following for a very long time. And so you young people, you are in a luck today because this person will tell you all about the United Nations, how young people can get involved. And we're also going to talk about herself and how she's really mobilizing young people and boys and girls all across the world to make sure that you are part of the conversation. She always talks about gender equality, climate change, all the stuff you are doing at school. She always talks about it. So it's your time to take your piece of paper and pen. We are in class. Let me just see if my guest is on the line. Hello, Lady Mariami. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> oh, Jay, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Girls in ICT Day to you. Oh, we are so excited today. Before we start, I always tell people why I invited them on the podcast. So our podcast is so amazing. And we are so lucky because you're going to be the hundredth person to come to this I'm the Code podcast. It's really amazing. So you're going to be the hundredth person. It's really unbelievable. Thank you so much. I feel so honored. <laughs> no, no, no. You're making a big day for us. It's a big moment for the girls. So the first girls who started the podcast actually are refugees. So they are from South Sudan, Burundi, and Kinshasa. So they're the ones that started the podcast in 2020. The podcast is two years old, and it's fascinating that you are closing this 100th episode for us. So I'll tell people why I invite them on the podcast. There are a couple of things I have really noticed about you. is your presence. Your clarity in how you talk about young people is really meaningful. 
And I really love that. I remember, you know, I was at the UN and you start speaking about youth and why do we need to include young people in the climate change debate? And I remember that I was very fascinated, Jay. I didn't know who you were before and they told me who you are afterward. That was just really a very important moment for me. And the second thing is we are both lucky to sit at the ITU Connect as both visionaries. And I think you have an amazing team that really pushed the agenda. I love all the work you are doing to include young people. And at I Am The Code, we're just very proud to see there's somebody like you sitting at the United Nations conveying the voice of the boys and the girls. For me, it's absolutely extraordinary. So that's why I wanted to invite you today to come and talk to boys and girls who are all across the world listening to you. And you can just share a little bit about yourself, but also, you know, the work you are doing is so, so important. So welcome on the I Am The Code podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me and for your very kind words, Lady Bariyama. For me, I consider this the biggest honor of my life to really be able to um, not only work at the United Nations, but to be a bridge between young people whose voices are not very often heard in these chambers um, and to really create spaces for them to raise their own voices and not try to be their voice. You know, I, I don't like the idea of be, being a voice to the voiceless. I, I like to be the person who creates the space so everyone who has a voice can come and express their voice and their ideas, their frustrations even, to places where power is held. Um, as you said, my name is Jayatma Vikramanayaka. I am originally from Sri Lanka. That's where I was born and brought up until I moved to the United States to work at the UN. I was born to a country that went through a 30-year-long war. So 19 years of my life, um, I lived in a country that was affected by war. So when I grew up, when I was in school, when I was in university, I've seen how violence, how wars, how inequalities affect people's lives and how it even takes lives. But I also saw that some of the solutions to these crises that we see are actually right in front of us. And we just don't have the right leadership, the right policies, the commitment um, and the honesty that we need from our leaders to bring those solutions to life. So my work started by working with young people in my own country through a youth organization that I co-founded named Hashtag Generation which really spoke about us as a generation utilizing the power of social media and digital technologies to really call for democratic reforms in the country and get more young people to participate in politics and run for political office and really be the change that we want to see in the world. So that's where my work started. And after a few years of doing this work in my country, I was lucky enough to be nominated or appointed by the Secretary General to be his envoy on youth. So my current role is to advise and represent the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, on all matters affecting young people. And there are some tools and strategies that I have been able to build within the UN uh, to help the UN also become a more youth-friendly, youth-focused organization, which I'm sure we will get to talk about a little bit later in our podcast. You know, it's like these young people today, they're so lucky to have somebody like you sitting at the UN like, no, we're representing young people. So it's beautiful to hear you said that. But when you think about it, what are the challenges you have in your role to talk about young people and, and advancing the UN agenda? I know you love the Sustainable Development Goals you talk about all the time. What are the challenges do you have to advance this with young people? 
I think one of the biggest challenges, and I'm sure you experience this in your work as well, are these myths and misconceptions and stereotypes that our world has towards young people, right? The moment you think about young people, you think, you know, there are some group that has no experience that are very rebellious. And there are these stereotypes that we have built about young people. But around the world, we have seen that these stereotypes are no longer true, right? When the COVID pandemic hit, it was young people who were in the front lines volunteering as health workers, as community mobilizers, bringing groceries to the older persons. We see that in conflict zones, it's young people who are trying to build peace, trying to bring communities together. We see young scientists, we see young teachers, we see young entertainers, young innovators, young entrepreneurs, even before they are 30 years old, you know, coming up with innovations that change the course of our future. So these misconceptions about young people not having enough experience for leadership isn't true anymore. But unfortunately, those stereotypes still exist. So I would say that's one of the biggest barriers that I experience when I talk about, you know, giving young people leadership, getting young people in the parliaments, getting young people to become presidents and prime ministers. CEOs and board members. So it's one of the most important barriers that we have to really break through in order to give the place that young people truly deserve. Now, secondly, I also find a barrier because youth or young people, young men and women, these words have become such a buzzword, right? Very rarely you will find a politician or a leader giving a speech without referring to youth without referring to young people, right? So there's a lot of words, there's a lot of rhetoric, but you go to those countries and you look at their budget. Where is the budget for education? Where is the budget for the Ministry of Youth? Is there even a minister for youth? Because in some countries, there's not even a minister for youth, right? It's always coupled with sport or culture or always put to the side. Our education budgets continue to be cut despite the effects that we have had on education because of COVID-19. Our defense budgets are much higher than the budgets for our ministries for women's empowerment or gender equality. So there's a lot of rhetoric, but that rhetoric is not reflected when we put our money where our mouth is or make the right investments. So I would say two of the biggest challenges that I see are the stereotypes. And the second one is this gap between words and action when it comes to young people. No, I, I totally agree with you. And you are doing such a wonderful work. When I see you at the UN and all the work you are doing. The other thing I think that many people may not know about you is your desire to really push the agenda for youth. In your opinion, who cares about young people having access to technology and, and innovation? But do you think people really care about technology? I think we live at a time where, you know, we cannot afford not to think about technology, not only in terms of being fascinated by the opportunities that it provides, but also in terms of the rising inequalities that we see because of unequal access to technology, right? We talk about a world where you know, we are talking about a fourth industrial revolution during COVID. Everyone was talking about, let's do online learning and e-learning and this and that. We do not acknowledge that about 2.2 billion young people do not have an internet connection at home. 
right? These majority of children and young people living in developing countries, in least developed countries. The gap in infrastructure is so huge that in some places of the world, young people, they cannot even dream of what opportunities technology can provide. So I think we do have to care about technology. I think we do have to care about who has access to technology and how that access is spread across. Because even in places where there are technological access, we see a gap between boys and girls' access to technology, where girls are being left behind, where there is this digital gender divide. We, we use this term to show that even in places where technology is available and accessible, there is still a gap between women and men accessing technology. Now, taking into consideration the lack of infrastructure, lack of access and equality, not only between countries, but also within countries as well, right? There are even inside countries, you see a huge divide between urban and rural communities. Here, I live in the United States and everyone think, you know, in America, you have, you know, internet connections available wherever you go. It's so easily accessible. But still, there are uh, black and brown communities, uh, underprivileged communities. The indigenous reservoirs in this country do not have the same access to uh, digital technologies, same access to internet as the rest of the country does. So even within countries, there are these inequalities. So I think we have to really care about not only the opportunities, but also the challenges that digital technologies present us. But I want to just add one thing to that, Lady Mariam. When you ask me who cares or who should care about technology, I think everyone has to care about girls having access to technology, young people having access to technology, because we do have evidence, we do have statistics, we do have numbers that show us that having girls equal access to technology can lead to multiplier effects. For an example, if we are able to reach gender equality education and gender equal participation of young women as well as young men in the labor force, that could add about $4.4 trillion or 3.6% to the overall GDP of our world by 2030. So girls having access to technology, girls having access to this infrastructure and services do not only help girls, it helps all of us all over the world. I mean, it's really fascinating to hear that from you. But I want to go back a little bit to you as a person. What are you grateful for in this role? Because it's such an important role, as you always say, you know, and, and you're very humble about it. I think I'm grateful to have the opportunity to have a certain level of power and influence that gives me the opportunity to create change. Because when you are a young person given such a responsibility with no resources or very limited resources in such a huge organization filled with bureaucracy and red tape, it's very easy to feel frustrated. It's very easy to feel that, you know, you can't get much done. You are the only person under the age of 30 sitting in these decision-making rooms. You feel alone. But at the same time, the expectations, the feedback, the solidarity that young people all over the world has had towards 
myself and my office and my work and the power that they give me to bring their strength to the work of the organizations, their work to the work of the organization really gives me a certain level of power and influence that I can hold with myself to create change from within the organization. So I think to have that solidarity, that partnership from young leaders like yourself, young people that I get to meet every day from all around the world, that is really the one thing I'm most grateful for in this job. And when you meet young people who admire you so much, what do they tell you usually? It's very interesting because I've had a lot of young people just coming and hugging me just to say that, We are so excited to have somebody who looks like us in the UN because, you know, whatever said and done, UN is still an elitist organization. There's a lot of um, influence from the richer, developed countries in the UN. Um, So to have a young person from a developing country with, you know, brown skin and being really relatable to the majority of young people in the world and for them to be able to identify themselves with the person like me and think, oh, one day I can also become somebody like this is, I think, a very gratifying feeling. And I think it's also the most common thing that I hear from particularly young women that I meet around the world. It's beautiful. The other thing I just wanted to ask you is, I'm sure you have a lot of mentors, a lot of people who believes in you. We believe in you. I personally do. But do you have any mentors, people who really support you in this role? Yes, I do. And I think, as I said earlier, it can feel very lonely and it can be very frustrating to be in a place that, you know, doesn't really resonate with the way that perhaps you are used to working or does not have a lot of people that look like you in terms of age, in terms of skin color, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of background. So it can feel really lonely. And the only way that gets easier is by having a community of people who support you and who mentor you. And I'm very lucky to have that support system both inside and outside of the UN. Inside the UN, I've had the opportunity to be working with incredible women leaders like the Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed, the head of the UN Population Fund, uh, Dr. Natalia Khanem, the former head of UN Women, Fumsile Mambonuguka, and so many more uh, women, le- senior women leaders in the UN who come from similar backgrounds, from developing countries, from backgrounds similar to mine, and to just have the opportunity to to them seek their advice and to really know that in some of the challenges that I face, I'm not alone. And there are women who went through these challenges before me and to learn from their wisdom and experience is truly a safety net in a way within a, within a huge organization like the UN. But I also learn every day from not only people who are above me, I'm also mentored by people who are working for me in my team. I have much younger people, you know, who are eight years, nine years younger to me in my own team, who also come from very different backgrounds, from a different generation. And those who are younger to me in my own team also hold me accountable. They ask me questions. They tell me if I'm not doing something right. So to have mentorship, not only looking upwards, but also mentorship that looks 
around you and below you and really being surrounded by women who are there to support you has really i think helped me achieve a lot of the goals and targets that i've set for myself in this job you definitely have a wonderful team you are now in this position of course you're going to do more for the young people but also for the world but if you think about it what would you say to your younger self now i'm sure you have worked so hard to be where you are today. If you have a, an advice for your younger self or just want to say something to her today, what would that be? I would say be ready to keep changing and be adaptable because if I get to talk to my 10-year-old or 15-year-old self, I would tell them that one day you will do a job that doesn't even exist today. Because when I was 10 years, when I was 15 years, the job that I'm currently doing didn't even exist. So there was no way that I could have prepared to become the UN envoy on youth, you know. That is the nature of the world that we're living. It is changing so fast, particularly technology is changing our world so fast. So as a young person, I want myself, my younger self, but also every young person who are listening to us today to be flexible, to be adaptable, uh, to know that we live in a rapidly changing world and to have the skills and the attitude and the mindset to continuously learn and change to become the better version of ourselves so that we can help our world and contribute to our world in the best way possible. Well, today we're celebrating Girls ICT Day. Why do you think celebrating Girls ICT Day is important? I think for two reasons. One is throughout our history, we have had women and girls making contributions to information technology, communication technology, whose stories, whose voices were not heard, right? Technology has always been seen as a man's world. STEM subjects have always seen as, you know, this is better for boys than for girls. But throughout history, from Ada Lovelace to Gitanjali Rao to you, Lady Mariam, we have had amazing women who have breaked these stereotypes. So for me, the Girls in ICT Day is an opportunity for us to celebrate these stories that are unheard and untold. But it's also a good day for us to reflect who is around the table, who are we leaving behind, and to have an honest conversation about the inequalities in ICT, inequalities in STEM, and to really commit ourselves in the coming year from this Girls in ICT Day to next year's Girls in ICT Day. What is that one thing you would do as a young person, as a young activist, as a young advocate to make technology accessible and safe for other young women in your community, for other young women in your country. So I think it's a point for celebration, but it's also a point for reflection and action. Well, I'm most grateful for in this job is that I get to work with so many amazing young people around the world, from Asia to Africa to Europe to Latin America, a diversity of young people, from young activists protesting on the streets to young technologists to young teachers to young parents, young farmers, young fashion designers, youth in all their diversity. And I get to tell their stories at the UN. So I'm really grateful for having that opportunity, for having that influence and for having that platform in order to say those stories and break those myths and stereotypes about young people. And my hope is that 
I will not be the only young person in the UN's leadership going forward, that there will be many more young leaders taking up leadership positions as heads of UN programs, heads of UN agencies, and even becoming the next UN Secretary General um, to really show that young people are able to be the change that they want to see in the world. I saw you at the UN when these young people come, they surround you. How do you feel that moment where you see them sitting down at the UN, the chairs with their blue names on? I would say it's mixed feelings. I feel extremely happy to, you know, flood these halls and rooms with so many young people to show that, you know, we have the power, we have the energy, we have the enthusiasm. But at the same time, I also feel so responsible because, you know, all of their dreams and hopes and aspirations and the expectations that they have, um, that sometimes these organizations are unable to deliver. So I'm always very conflicted because I do feel very happy, but I also know that there are limitations when it comes to sustaining this engagement. I know that not all of their demands will be met because of the various limits and red tapes and bureaucracy that we have. But I also know that they will not stop their fight because, you know, they hear a no or a pushback. And I know that they will continue to fight not only at the UN, but also outside in their own countries, in their own parliaments, in their own universities, in their own organizations. So the Secretary General always say that power is not something that will be given to you easily. Power is something that you always has to fight for. And that has been the reality throughout our world when it comes to women's rights, when it comes to ending slavery, when it comes to ending racism. It has always been a fight for for equality, for, for equal power. And I think it's the same fight that we are fighting as a generation, as young people, to have the power that we truly deserve. When you were a young person, you were growing up, And as you said earlier, you didn't know this sort of job will exist. But when you think back, you sit at the UN and you have all these young people having expectations that she will represent us well. She will tell the things we think. She will be there to fight for us. But you have limited power. At the same time, you are there to fight for these people. So when you think about your youth and what your mothers and your fathers taught you, how do you feel about this position you have right now? Do you speak to your parents about this and your friends and when you were growing up? Did they see you sometime at the UN? I No, I don't think that anyone ever thought that I will work for the UN or I will be working in, in a capacity like that. But they sure knew that I will hold some sort of a leadership position. Um, I've, I've always been very vocal. Um, I've been a student leader in my school. I've been doing youth clubs and student leadership, youth leadership uh, during my youth. I've been very active in youth political organizations. So I think they always saw that I will become a leader of some sort because I'm also the oldest girl of a family of three girls. So I was always bossing around, you know, my sisters. So I think that they knew that I will be a leader one day or that I'm a natural sort of leader in that way. But I don't think they necessarily saw me at the United Nations because even for us, you know, I come from very humble working class family in Colombo, in, in, in Sri Lanka, from the south of Sri Lanka. And, you know, my parents don't even speak English. So they don't also fully understand what my job is or, or the things that I talk about. But I know that they are very proud and 
I sometimes explain to them that, you know, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I do. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, for sure very interesting when I try to explain to them the kind of work that I do. When you entered the UN for the first time and got your badge, how did you feel? I think it actually took me a while to realize that it was real in a way, you know, because these institutions like the UN, it always seemed so far from us, you know, even after getting the phone call that I got this job doing all the paperwork and coming to New York. I think it really like probably a couple of days later, walking into the UN and doing my very first speech at the trusteeship council. I think that was really the moment of realization that, oh, okay, so this is real. <laughs> this is real. I need to, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, but as I said, I have an amazing team who has helped me navigate that, you know, transition and acclimatize myself to the UN very well, but also not be consumed by the UN as well. Because I think for a role like mine, it's important to always have the outside perspective because that is the only way that we can change and we can truly meet the needs of the people that I represent or where I'm coming from. So just to always try not to get too absorbed to the UN, but at the same time, you know, keep your feet there, but uh, find ways to navigate it in a way that it not only widens the gap, between the community you're serving and the organization, but really bridges that gap. It's really fascinating. The girls who are listening to you right now, you never know where they're going to end up. But what I love about you is, first of all, you dress traditionally, your clothes. Oh my God, they're so amazing. I love it. The blue, I love everything you wear, your makeup, everything is so fantastic. I am so hopeful that in 2030, you and I will sit at the United Nations to celebrate I Am The Code and all the work we are doing to get these young people to be involved in coding and technology. And as you said today, you know, one of the biggest things today that I want this young girl to take from this podcast as we celebrate Girls ICT Day is that you are working very hard to make sure they have connectivity, content. We are working very hard to make sure we have infrastructure. And so on behalf of I Am The Code, the girls who, all the girls listening to you right now, they will be very proud to know that you started in a very humble way, but you are now sitting at the UN and you know your responsibility. You know you're sitting at that seat and you know exactly what you're doing and you have a wonderful team wonderful mentors supporting you so you can be the voice of the young people because tomorrow these young people will grow up like all of us so anything else you would like to add jay on this podcast that i have not covered because i want to make sure people listen to your voice and hear you authentically Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, the work that you are doing by telling these stories and really letting the girls who are listening to this podcast know that if they have the audacity to dream, they also have the power and the potential to make that dream a reality. And I think that's the work that we are all doing. I want to make sure that when I break the glass door, I, that women who come after me do not have to break that door again. So we will continue to, I think, push boundaries in the best possible way we can so that the girls and the women who are coming after us can achieve much higher heights than we ever could. Jay is remarkable. We need to have more young people like her sitting at the United Nations representing youth, but also advocating for the work of young people. Young people do grow up and they become leaders and leaders make decisions. And when decisions are made, they affect the life of people. 
So I just want to say thank you so much, Jay, for coming on the I Am The Code podcast. And thank you so much for being the hundredth person to come on the I Am The Code podcast. It's very, very special for me to even say that today. Thank you so much. One of the things I've learned this week is that having young people representing you know, organizations and building connections and relationships are extremely crucial. And as we celebrate Girls ICT Day here today in Kakumu Refugee Camp, it's absolutely important that we bring the voice of refugees, voice of brown and color people, disabled, really people who are marginalized and different from us. It is so important we bring their voices at the table. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mahiam Jam, all the way from Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya, where I am here with the young girls, and we are going to celebrate today not only the I Am The Code podcast, but we're also going to celebrate Girls ICT Day. So thank you so much for your support, your love, and your kindness. Don't forget to subscribe to the I Am The Code podcast wherever you can listen to I Am The Code podcast. Share the podcast, the content we are creating, is absolutely a good content for you to listen to the voices of people you may never listen or may never heard before because they are really extraordinary people who have made it and want to share their life journeys with you. Share the podcast with your friends, like I said earlier. We are a very small team at I Am The Code. If you can donate to the I Am The Code Foundation, we will really appreciate this. We are a very small team dedicated to making the world a better place for people who want to do better and be better. But thank you so much for all you are doing for I Am The Code. I am so grateful. This week we have signed amazing partnerships with the Mastercard Foundation and Skillsoft. And one of the things I really want to say to you young girls is do not give up. Make sure you get into the I Am The Code digital platform. Have a lovely day and I will see you again very, very soon. Thank you and happy Girls ICT Day from Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya.